Well, good morning, Mars Hill family. My name is Ashley Island. If we have not been able to meet, if you're joining us for the very first time, I'm one of the associate pastors here, and it is so good to have you with us this morning. I'm eager to introduce you to the rest of our panel before we dive into our conversation this morning. But first, a bit of why we're switching gears and having this discussion. To be a Jesus people for the sake of the world, we must be willing to be formed in three areas, and you'll see them here. The proclamation of scripture and what we believe about the goodness of God, that's our theology. The meaning it holds for us right now in this moment or in our culture, and what that compels us to do from here or our mission. Troy, Tim, Kyle, and myself, this framework isn't new to us as preachers, as it's one of the frameworks we've become familiar with in our preaching development together over time. But here's why it's helpful for all of us. To be formed in the word or the text, but to have no precision as to how that proclamation intersects our lives today or clarity as to how we must then live as disciples is an incomplete formation. Likewise, to be on mission or to understand our current cultural moment without the foundation of the word of God is a watered down and self-empowered endeavor. We must be willing to be formed in all three. I don't think anyone would argue that there's been increased tension and division amongst us in the first few days of 2021, within the larger church body, politically, racially. What happened January 6th at the Capitol building in DC, the upcoming inauguration this week, messaging and images in the past few days representing the Christian faith, Christian nationalism and insurrection, or patriotism, depending on one's perspective, have all fed an external environment of frenzy and chaos. And yet, as disciples of Jesus, we are a particular, peculiar people who must acknowledge the cultural terrain within which we live, while also remembering who we are called to be in the midst of that terrain. And so the hope is that this discussion equips us to be bold and not fearful in the middle of not just this tense moment, but of moments that are sure to be filled with tension in the future. To tell the truth and not skirt around naming important realities as illuminated by the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit so that our witness as the collective body of Christ might be distinct from, and yet in service to illuminating darkness in our world. That we might be equipped with a spirit of perseverance and long-suffering, knowing the beauty and power in what the kingdom of God is really like, as both something we yet long for, but what we might also taste and experience now to be gracious, forgiving, humble, realizing brokenness and sin, get this, within us, as we persistently pursue Christ-likeness together 
not slow to name our individual and collective sins, to lament and repent, led by God's kindness in hopes of transformation. We will not always have a panel discussion for every local, national, or global crisis, but we want to be proactive in how we're formed together. This conversation, though it could easily take four hours or even four days of tireless sharing of opinions and perspectives, will not be the last one. And you may not hear exactly what you're hoping to hear based on your own personal values or convictions, as important as those are. What's key here is that this discussion is calling all of us to submit our lives, hearts, and minds at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. And this morning, we ground our discussion in our continuing Messiah series. If you're just joining us, we're walking through the book of John together. And our text this morning comes from the chapter of John 14, verses 15 through 31. Three observations from Jesus' words in this text that will be helpful and foundational for us in this discussion, and I hope for all of us watching at home and how we understand our discipleship. Jesus said, first of all, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So church, this puts the ball in our courts in this regard. Do we love Jesus? To answer yes, then we must ask, well, what does he command? We must be very clear about this. We must be clear to neither add nor detract from Jesus' words. A sample of the commandments he's already issued here in John's gospel so far. There's three of them. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. A new commandment I give to you that we recently talked about in a couple weeks ago, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. This is just a brief sampling of Jesus' commandments. Let us be clear, we do not abide in or proclaim to live as a Jesus people from a place of partisan convictions alone. We hold the commandments of Jesus as supreme to all others, recognizing that individuals, movements, and systems have both the potential to reflect these commandments and to actively work against them. Because of this, as the people of God, we must be able and willing to name when the way of Jesus has been co-opted or misrepresented, deviating from these commandments and tarnishing the witness of the church. Something else that Jesus says within these verses. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. He goes on to say, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We look to him as our rabbi and our Lord. If we understand why the Holy Spirit was given and how the Spirit encourages, comforts, convicts, and counsels, we'll value the teaching 
and guidance of the Spirit as our primary source of truth. The Spirit then sheds light on all other sources of information, whether that's our news feeds or our social media accounts. To trust these sources at face value, apart from the guidance of the Holy Spirit, is to be willing to be led outside of the truth found in Jesus Christ. The good news is though Jesus is not physically here, we have help. We're not alone to fend for ourselves. We can be taught how to be together as the family of God, and we can be reminded of Jesus' words for comfort, instruction, and challenge by the Holy Spirit. One final highlight of what Jesus says within these verses. He says, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. And then to end this chapter, he says, rise, let us go from here. Troy did a beautiful job walking us through this text last week. We are empowered, church, to rise and go. Even though the ruler of the world, the enemy we cannot perceive with our physical eyes, has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. We can boldly be a Jesus people for the sake of the world because the ruler of the world has no claim, no authority or power over Jesus Christ. None. Therefore, we are to live out our mission confidently, without fear. We are to live out the commandments of Jesus. This will invite us into closer proximity with one another and with others we do not yet know. And that can get messy and extremely difficult. This will invite us to imagine what Jesus might be doing in our midst as Mars Hill Bible Church, or if you're watching from another congregation or just tuning in this morning within your specific context. It invites us to do that with specificity. Mars Hill family, we are a politically diverse body. This is to be celebrated because it's increasingly rare. It's easy to flock to a community that lines up specifically ideologically with everything you believe in. We're doing something hard, let's just name that. We are a body that longs to be made up of brothers and sisters who are not currently here. We are a majority white congregation and have stated that we want to reflect the kingdom of God racially, economically, generationally, particularly in this forming of this new Mars Hill Grand Rapids expression. And that means that we have a lot to learn about experiences not our own. We're a generous congregation meaning much will be required of us in how we steward our resources, our energy, our finances, and otherwise. All to say, we cannot be deterred, but neither can we bury our heads in the sand. So with these words from Jesus in mind, we're going to dive into our discussion. Here we have Tim Nelson, formation pastor. Tim is an avid outdoorsman. He loves working with his hands. He did a cool project this, just this past weekend for his family and has a cool truck. But more importantly, if you've been in proximity to Tim, he's truly one of the most pastoral people that I know. We're so grateful for his leadership. I'm grateful for his leadership and how he calls people 
back to streams of living water. And this morning, we also have Jenna Waringa, one of our elders, joining us for this discussion. She's a therapist and has intentionally been wrestling with what it means to pursue justice as a follower of Jesus Christ. She's an avid learner. I follow her on Goodreads. She's constantly challenging herself to different perspectives, and I have personally enjoyed learning from her. And finally, we have Bennett Samuel. Bennett is also one of our elders, and he loves the word of God. He's written God's word on the tablet of his heart truly, and the word flows freely from his life. He also offers a unique perspective as he works in healthcare, so I'm excited to learn more from him this morning as well. I'm so grateful to have the three of you joining us this morning, and we'll begin with this question. From each of your perspectives, why is it important that we are having this conversation right now. And Jenna, we'll start with you. Thanks, Ashley. And we would just like to extend our thanks to the tech team who put in tireless work each Sunday for our worship team and the preparation and the heart you come in to the leading you did for us this morning and every week. So thank you very much. Um, as I think about why this conversation is important right now, I think it comes back to how do we clarify our witness as Jesus followers? How would people know that we are a Jesus people? And I think that first has to start with confronting and rebuking the violence and hatred that we witnessed at our Capitol. This morning I'm speaking as a white woman and my own journey of coming awake to systemic racism and white supremacy, and that is what I saw last week. What is white supremacy? White supremacy is the belief and actions that because of white skin, one is superior or should dominate society to the exclusion or diminishment of people of color. And right away you think, oh, well, white supremacy, that's the extreme groups, right? That's the KKK, those are the images, especially for us who are white, that comes up right away. But yeah, this is very, um, seeps into the fabric of our society from um, centering whiteness, right? The culture about whiteness, expecting other people to join in that, to access housing, right? We had some um, circle groups even the past couple years about redlining and the history and the impact in our city to education and how one experiences our criminal justice system based on our skin color. So for me, when I looked at what happened last week uh, at the Capitol, the stark images of the Confederate flag and what that represents for our country, for the anti-Semitic imagery on a sweatshirt, and for me, the most blatant contradiction between how law enforcement responded to people with white skin when they were protesting and rioting compared to what we saw just six months ago this summer and how the law enforcement responded to protesters and rioters of color. I'm immersed in this system, right? Like I had the benefit of just kind of, like you said, putting your head in the sand and being like, well, I benefit from this. And yet these are injustices that are experienced by my brothers and sisters of color on a daily basis. So what does this look like for me to follow or to love Jesus right now? It means telling the truth telling the truth about the hatred and the violence that we saw at the Capitol. 
question. Uh, and you know, it's, it's small things too. I'm thinking as you're talking, I'm looking that I, I can show up anywhere. I can preach in different congregations and know that this microphone thing will most likely match my skin color. Or if I got cut, I can find a Band-Aid that does. Whereas we had a special order for Ashley's. Um, and so it's tiny, but there's a, there's a lot of tiny things um, that point to this, this centering of whiteness. And despite that, I, I love that our congregation is, is a super diverse congregation ideologically, politically. We're doing something really rare, like Ashley said, and I really value it as I see uh, colleagues and pastors around the country watch their percentages of their perceived percentage of who votes for who move towards 70-30, 80-20, And that's only good when you're buying ground beef. 90-10 is not how you want a congregation probably, right? Um, and so I'm proud of what we're doing. And yet it's hard. Um, Jenna, you mentioned, as you were talking, uh, the Confederate flag. I'm trying to think of some simple ways that we can engage this uh, for each other. You know, I recognize that for some people, that flag doesn't elicit uh, a reaction. And yet, I've come to learn that for many, especially our black and brown brothers and sisters, it elicits a, a visceral reaction of terror and fear. And so what do we do with that? is my question. We, 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 we follow Philippians 2 and say, how do we put others above ourselves? And so maybe, especially if you're in high school, I, wanna, I want you to listen carefully to this as well. If you're around and you see friends, family members, uh, people you work with um, who, are, who are flying this flag, wearing a t-shirt, uh, putting it on a bumper sticker, maybe there's an opportunity for you to take a small step. And, and not just encourage the people, because I'm sure you'll get feedback to be more PC or to not offend people, but actually invite them into a deeper way of being human as they help rehumanize other people. You know, I think of, of Matthew 8, where Jesus learns of the centurion, Roman centurion servant who is sick and dying. Jesus had, had no uh, physical or political reason to uh, go out of his way, change what he was going to do, and save and heal that person. It was a political enemy, and yet he does. We recognize that God is doing something bigger in this narrative than even Jesus was aware of at that moment, and he is invited into that and changes his plans. And so how much more so, right? Jesus, Jesus was the oppressed minority in that case, and yet he deviates to accommodate for somebody to bring healing. How much more so to those who are, who are not in the oppressed minority, to follow the way of Jesus and say, I'm gonna have a hard conversation with a friend. Not about just not offending people, yeah. but about bringing an opportunity for healing and to follow the way of Jesus together. Because God's doing something bigger than we could imagine right now. Wednesday, January 6, 2021, was a feast of epiphany. The Feast of Epiphany is when Christians all over the world celebrate how the light of Christ spreads to all nations. It is a time when we recall the journey of the Magi, their journey to Bethlehem being a representation of the nations. We recall the journey of the Magi who find Jesus through their mysterious stargazing. But... But their encounter with King Herod is revealing. King Herod, in his quest to protect his own power, as it says in Matthew chapter 2, sent the Magi to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. So that I too 
may go and worship him. Here we see that the very language of worship used as a weapon of earthly political power. This is a form of religious nationalism that has seeped into our narrative today. But epiphany comes from the word reveal and reveals King Herod's sinful nature, our own sinful nature, our prejudices and biases. And if we are listening through the power of the Holy Spirit, what the Magi received insight about is to go home a different way. Yeah. Epiphany is a realization of the truth. It means to grasp reality. And ever since that first epiphany, we are called to turn to the light and the truth in Jesus. Jesus, the center of it all. Jesus, the center of our church. Amen. However, the darkness of violence and racism on the Feast of Epiphany and for centuries of violence before that reminds us that we are in the already, but not yet. Yeah. We are in the already, but not yet. That is why this anti-epiphany must be named, because there is work to be done, brothers and sisters. Mm. Personally, I have firsthand seen the negative impacts of racism and injustice in my role in healthcare, initially as a bedside nurse and now as a research nurse. I've been told by patients or their families that they do not want a black nurse taking care of them, not for lack of skill or training, but because of the color of my skin. Because of the systemic racism in clinical research, flawed research studies were published from 1800 to as recent as 1965 that claimed that black people do not experience as much pain as white people. This has affected the appropriate delivery of pain medications and pain management for black people and people of color to this day. In our recent history, the church was slow in addressing the AIDS epidemic. We must not be slow now. This is the time now we must not take a back seat in addressing this epidemic of racism, a public health crisis. We must name it, we must confront it, and we must address it. And the only way, brothers and sisters, that we can do this is through the power of the Holy Spirit, yeah. through the help of the Holy Spirit. As it says in John 14, the Holy Spirit is our advocate and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, and only He can help us shine light in this darkness. Amen. 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 Um, so we know it's been a tense and divided time. It's been a tense and divided time in our nation since the events at the Capitol, and there's talk that violence might be incited or increase even as we lead up to the inauguration day this week. And I know personally that's um, it's not something that I want and I feel, I, I don't think that's something that any of us want. Um, but we might be watching from our television screens or scrolling through our phones and be wondering, well, what does that have to do with us here in, in West Michigan? What does that have to do with Mars Hill, and so I wonder if we can have a discussion about that, starting with you, Jenna. What does that have to do with us? Yeah, I, I go back to this has everything to do with us as Jesus followers. What is our witness? How do we respond in this time? How do we respond going into this coming week? As I've talked to friends and family and in my work as a therapist, talking with clients, I mean, the, the emotion is so palpable, right? Um, shocked by what happened, um, deeply disturbed, 
surprised or seeing this as something that's been going on for a long time. Um, and a lot of anxiety and fear as we go into this coming week mm. and what this looks like for our world, our country, our, our locality, and in our own families. Mm. When I think about what happened last week and the emotion I experienced, I really see our white evangelical church in America being associated with um, the white supremacy. And I see this as uh, an an evil, rotten root that's been part of the white American evangelical church for a very long time. And we see this so blatantly last week, and yet I think it's time for us to pull that out. Okay. Hearing Bennett talk, hearing Ashley, hearing Tim, talking to friends and family, saying what is this next step, and as someone who has, again, the benefits of my white skin, it starts with truth-telling. It starts with confession, that some of us don't know that this has been part of our history for a long time, and lamenting that, and the pain that people have experienced and still do today. And especially listening to those who have suffered to learn a different narrative. And I think especially for us here at Mars Hill, it's looking into our desire and our initiative to build community and to lean into racial reconciliation in Grand Rapids. When we think about racial reconciliation, a lot of times we think about the truth and reconciliation movement that's come out of South Africa. And I think the ordering of that word and that phrase is so important, truth, and reconciliation. And I think right now, in this moment, people are looking for, especially the white church, to speak truth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So many of uh, the images we've seen uh, from last Wednesday have these signs, Jesus saves. There's a cross out there. Mm -hmm. There's uh, reports and recordings of, of Christian music being playing, being played. And before some sort of judgment, I think I'm hit that we have a family problem, right? The larger family of God in America in particular has a, has a problem. And we need to recognize and name that, tell, some, tell the truth about that so that healing can actually happen. You gotta show up to the doctor so we can get better, right? And uh, part of that is naming this, this kind of this conflation. We, I don't want to throw a term around like Christian nationalism uh, to try and make a statement about it, but say there's this kind of idolatrous conflation or joining of, of Christian, especially white Christian identity and patriotism in America, that these things have gone together uh, for far too long. And we're called to be a part of a, a different kingdom, a higher plane, uh, not that is aloof or unconcerned, with what's happening in our world or in the, the houses uh, of elected power, but uh, there's a better narrative that we have to be about. And so for as much uh, publicity, right or not, that, that that part of our family gets right now, I think there's a simple challenge to try and balance out the family system and how much more radical and upfront and inclusive and embracing does our love have to be yeah. to counteract that? There's other ways of, of working at this, and we want to pursue those too, but I think just, just from uh, face value, how much more extravagant mm -hmm. and bold and, and reckless is the love and generosity of our church and those who are willing to take up that challenge yeah. 
I think that's what I want to leave with today. Is, well, how do I take a step into that? How do we do that together, Marcel Bible Church? That's good. I'd say, speaking of a family problem, we're not just talking about the family in the United States, but globally. And I think it's providence that a couple of years ago, Dylan and I had a chance to travel to Rwanda. And it was one of the most sobering trips for me because we got to see survivors, leaders, um, local advocates talk about on the other side of this massive genocide where close to a million people were killed um, in 1994 over the span of just a couple of months because there was a family problem, because people were pitted against one another. And I remember at that time thinking, there's a reason why all these pastors are traveling to the other side of the world to heed this um, caution and to learn and to submit to learning from our brothers and sisters in Rwanda. But what struck me, and I, I have not forgotten this, was that what I heard loud and clear from a bishop in Rwanda is that the Rwandan church was complicit in the genocide. Whether that was churches actually um, taking in Tutsis and holding them there so that they could be slaughtered, or just turning a blind eye and going to, to church on Sunday as if nothing was happening even though there was carnage in the streets. Both those forms of complicity are ones that I'm not willing to be a part of because we as the church are better than that. As brothers and sisters, we have a higher call as Tim just said. We don't want to get to that point to where we're looking back on what has happened and to be sorry then. Let our eyes be opened now. Now, I know some of us are watching this morning and even last week, they're like, well, what about the Black Lives Matter protests and things happening last summer? What about those? Let me be very clear. I don't condone violence in any of its forms. I don't care who you are. But I am clear that in Romans 12:9, the Lord says, vengeance is mine thus saith the Lord. And we are afforded this privilege to protest peaceably, right? Um, but here's what I would say. If our condemnation of a movement is louder than the condemnation and outcry of the pain of oppression, slavery, mistreatment, and perpetual injustice experienced by generations of our brothers and sisters. And when I say brothers and sisters, church, I mean me included. I'm not talking about those black people. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about Dellen, and I know you love us. Um, we have a priority setting problem, right? When the condemnation of that movement is louder than our outcry of the pain that so many of our brothers and sisters of color are experiencing, we have a priority setting issue that we have to hold ourselves accountable to based on how Jesus calls us to love and who he calls us to be in proximity to as brothers and sisters under his banner. He has broken down the dividing wall of hostility, and so may we pay attention to that. I'll say that um, this past Friday was the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, and tomorrow is this national holiday that we'll be celebrating um, because of his life and legacy. Many people are going to see or have already seen MLK memes and quotes sprinkled across social media, across Facebook and Instagram this time of year. And m many equate his life uh, with an almost passive, non-confrontational posture as a minister and justice advocate. But MLK ruffled some feathers. <laughs> Um, he, he clearly, his pursuit landed him in jail. There were bomb threats, death threats to his family, and eventually his pursuit of this good news lived out in the way of justice and equity and nonviolence cost him everything. It cost him his life. 
Um, I want to read just an excerpt from a letter he wrote in Birmingham, Alabama in 1963. We know it as the letter from a Birmingham jail, but I just want to read this portion for us and ask a question out of it. He says, we will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Human progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts of men, and in this case, women, willing to be co-workers with God, and without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally of the forces of social stagnation. We must use time creatively in the knowledge that the time is always ripe to do right. Now is the time to make real the promise of democracy and transform our pending national elegy into a creative psalm of brotherhood. Now is the time to lift our national policy from the quicksand of racial injustice to the solid rock of human dignity. These words, church, are from 1963. How do we see them as still applicable today? Jenna, we'll start with you. Yeah, when I read this quote over the weekend, I was just shocked again that this has been almost 60 years, and yet it's so timeless and apt for us today, which is quite sobering, actually, when I was reading that. There are multiple words that stood out to me reading his quote, uh, specifically the tireless work. Again, speaking from my experience as a white person, I have to be honest that I haven't done the tireless work. I might say I've been doing this work for the last few years, or been reading, or looking into it, but can I say it's tireless? And I feel like that's probably true for the vast majority of white Christians. And actually, um, MLK spoke to that. Yet, when I read his quote, I see hope. The time is always ripe to do right. Mm -hmm. Now, we could easily argue that, is it really the right time? I mean, we've got a pandemic. We've got political instability. I'm speaking as a mom. You're balancing childcare and work. <laughs> I mean, there's plenty of things to say. Well, this isn't really the right time. But I think it is. It's always ripe. And maybe it's something small. Maybe your capacity is at its limit. But maybe it's that next step. I think of Christine and her encouragement and call to us to take that next right step to see what's in your circle. Mm -hmm. um, one quote that has been really helpful for me in my journey has been from Emmanuel Katangale. He's a Ugandan Catholic theologian who's worked on uh, the theology of reconciliation in Africa. And this is his quote. Hope and lament are twin sisters walking hand in hand. Mm. Hope and lament are twin sisters walking hand in hand. Mm. Mm. This has been helpful to me because, believe me, there's times when I read or listen to the narratives of suffering and I can feel that lament. And if I'm really honest, sometimes I push pause on my podcast or I put my book down and then I realize I have the privilege to push pause and put my book down. And yet that's part of this reconciliation. It's part of the truth telling is to lament. Mm. And that's held hand in hand with hope. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah. So how do we take that? How do we move forward with that? 
Um, I think for me, it's been a posture of curiosity. We use this a lot in therapy, you know, not to look at your emotions and your thoughts, your relationships with a lot of judgment, but be curious, have that posture. And that's been helpful. You don't want to turn this into a shame getting stuck, but be curious about your reactions and especially having that posture towards our brothers and sisters on the margin to learn from them. It's to recognize and confess my own assumptions and bias. I remember um, in the race and faith uh, workshop, um, Tamara mentioned, you know, we have these split second judgments. It's amazing, right? We know the research on implicit bias. And she said, what do you do with that? Well, you, may, you name it. Because then you're bringing conscious, when we know the brain, prefrontal awareness to it, and then I can challenge myself. And I love that we talked about the spirit being our advocate because I can also bring that to God. Mm -hmm. Like, God, I just noticed I made this judgment. That's not the heart that I want. Help me be aware of it so I can change it. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need these steps of reflection, lament, confession, before we make the steps towards action. Mm-hmm. I love that uh, part of the quote. It comes to the tireless efforts of men and women willing to be co-workers with God. We serve a God who has always been on the lookout for, for co-workers, for participants. Who's going who's gonna to come with me and join what I'm doing? Kind of flies in the face of that uh, little trope. Uh, we, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And while I, I really appreciate where that's going, uh, Jesus has his own hands and feet. <laughs> Resurrected Jesus. Thomas saw them and touched them. And Christ has ascended to be present everywhere. And so what we do is we join in what God's already doing, like Jesus did in Matthew 8, we looked at a few minutes ago. Mm. And, and so I want that to push against a feeling of helplessness for us, and also to give us a sense of like, okay, God's doing something. That means I'm not taking a first step alone, a second step alone, a next year alone. Mm -hmm. If this seems like there's something uh, just not right, if you're, if you're listening to, to some of this, and you're like, I don't, I don't know. And there's all sorts of memes and words from friends, coworkers in your mind. Trust that God's doing something. I'm not saying that we are, are, are giving you your prefer, perfect next step, but, but reflect, be curious about what's happening inside of you. Maybe, maybe God's inviting you to something. And so therefore, because God has gone before us, do not be overwhelmed by the enormity of the work here, or honestly, the depth of divide or brokenness of our systems. Mm -hmm. uh, we get a chance to take a little step. So would you feel the grace to do that and know that we want to do that with you as your church? There's a, there's a place for you to take that here. There's a, there's a place for you to ask a question and, and push back and say, I don't, know, I don't know about this or I don't know about that. Um, God is doing something and we just want to join it. So I invite you to do that with us. Yeah, that's good. Speaking of taking the next step and joining in, I think it's helpful at this point to name where do we go from here and, and what do we do um, coming out of this conversation? Yeah, so I would love to quote Brenda Salter McNeil, who's a prominent voice on racial reconciliation. She published this book, whose title is very apt for today, Becoming Brave, Finding the Courage to Pursue Racial Justice Now. And this is her quote. Those at the top of the hierarchy will inevitably have more work to do than those at the bottom. Mm -hmm. So when I mentioned white supremacy or the systemic racism that's all around us, it's recognizing for those of us who are white, we've got our work to do. And for me, that's how we invest our time, our energy, our resources, and we know that these are finite, and we have different capacity. 
So again, maybe it's listening to a podcast of someone you might have not have considered before. Maybe it's bringing up a conversation with your white friend around racism, stepping into that discomfort. I do see this as the path of discipleship and formation. I see it as a long view, especially centered on Jesus' command for us to love our neighbor. Uh, for me, that's been expanding the voices that I'm listening to, specifically those who are marginalized, who have experienced injustice, listening to understand. So again, I'm going to go into my therapist hat, not listening to come up with your next point or defend yourself, right? This is like classic couples therapy 101. <laughs> So listening to understand. And in that process, what's been so powerful to me is it's expanded how I understand who God is. It's expanded how I see God's mercy, God's love, God's heart for justice, and God's abundance. And so through that process, it's really shaped my formation. And I'm also so grateful for the powerful testimony of the black church and the Latinx church mm -hmm. in their prophetic testimony that's helped me in my formation. That's where I'm going, and I invite you guys to do the same. Yeah, that's good. So I'd like to share my experiences growing up in India to address where do we go from here? What do we do? So as many of you are familiar, in India, the caste system is a form of racism, a systemic evil, unfortunately, that permeates through all aspects of Indian society. Every aspect of a person, what they can do, what they're allowed to do, occupation, where they're allowed to live, whom they're allowed to marry, is all dictated by the caste system. It is so ingrained in society that a person, for example, who vacuums will not mop. A person who mops will not empty trash cans. A person who empties trash cans will not clean restrooms, and so on and so forth. So one day, one of the employees at my parents' school in North India was sick and didn't show up for work. So my dad asked another employee if she would be willing to empty the trash cans. She refused because she was from a higher caste. So my dad started going around the school picking up trash cans, and immediately the employee said, if you can do it, I can do it. Brothers and sisters, the eyes of the world are on the church. So how are we going to live differently as Christians in this time? What is ours to do as moms, dads, grandparents, or even in our careers as teachers, nurses, therapists, business owners, or whatever industry we work in? How are we to live out the call from Mars Hill to live as Jesus' people for the sake of the world? How are we to bring measurable change among the oppressed? Again, here, the Magi have shown us the way. Mm -hmm. And in the words of Dr. King, shown us the way to be co-workers with God. Mm -hmm. The Magi are only able to see the star because it is dark. Mm -hmm. Darkness, often perceived as purely evil, still plays a part in making way for light. Mm -hmm. It is in this darkness that the Magi bring their gifts. We as a church, we at Mars Hill Bible Church, also have gifts to present to our community, to our neighborhoods, to our cities, to our states, and even to our country. And in this time, and again, as Dr. King said, a time that is ripe to do right, we are called to bring gifts of nonviolence, the gift of justice, and the gift of reconciliation because of the death and resurrection of Jesus yeah. through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So rise, church. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Amen. <laughs> oh. So friends, where do, we, where, do we, where do we go? What are some tangible steps we can take with this? Um, 
A couple that we're putting out in the next few weeks uh, are these Zoom circles. Uh, you can see them scrolling before or after the gathering online or check them out on our website. One that Ashley's hosting uh, that starts in a few weeks is around conversations with local partners and leaders. And some of them will be kind of like this, but with more a geographic and personal skin on to say, how do we have a conversation with a multi-ethnic church in our area who's pursuing uh, a, a different way of being the church? Uh, conversations with folks like the Center for Community Transformation and students who are going after things, we're coming from tough situations and uh, our friends at the Southeast Market are also gonna begin a conversation with Ashley. So this, this, a lot of this conversation will be kind of in the mix there. Um, so that's a great way to take a next step. I get the chance to lead two of these conversations. One um, may not seem immediately related, but is how do you read the Bible? Like we're going to pick this up, I think February 18th, looking at this mysterious book that is so easily co-opted and misinterpreted and turned to our desires and preferences. What is this beautiful, ancient, mysterious narrative that God is weaving and that we have a way to step into. Uh, come join us for that. And then more specifically about this conversation, I get a chance to lead a group through the reading of a book called Jesus and John Wayne. Mm -hmm. And um, I grew up in some of that world, Pilgrim. <laughs> and uh, so I, I get a little bit of that. And this is a, a conversation that has done amazing work. It's by a professor at Calvin College, and she's done incredible research and writing on looking at kind of the, this, this white evangelical, especially uh, male-dominated church in America and how that's conflated with our political systems and powers for so long in a way that I think offers a way that we can understand and step into something together um, that's really hopeful uh, as well. And so, I, but... Uh, not just those resources, we want to keep the conversation going. Like Ashley said, this is not the last time we'll continue to talk about this. It's not the final word either. And I would just really invite you, if, if this is for you, if this conversation has been a yes and amen, or it's been like, or you're kind of like, hmm, something, something's there, I would love to take a walk with you. Mm -hmm. We would love to converse with you on the phone, email, reach out. Um, that's part of what we do as the church together. And I want to listen and there's space for you here to wrestle together. That's why we profess this direction withward. Like we're, we're doing something with and towards one another that's bigger than any one of us. And there's a lot of hope there. So I would just encourage you uh, to take that next step, whatever it is, reach out. There's a, a place for you. And, and at the very least, keep, keep showing up for the liturgy, for the table, for this kind of relentless reorientation that God is doing in and amongst us every week. And with hands open, let's all take a step towards that. Um, so thank you, three, for being in this conversation together. And church, um, for all the words that were said, it is a privilege, it's a sobering privilege to now come to the table as a people who profess the good work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. When I think of violence, Jesus didn't just witness it. He didn't just talk about it. He didn't just have commentary on it. But as we were sitting there having that conversation, I thought, Jesus absorbed it. Jesus absorbed violence upon his body because he loves us. Doesn't matter how you voted. Doesn't matter what your skin looks like. The savior of the world absorbed the blows of our sin and brokenness for you. And this is now a celebration at this table. 
So it is with joy and much hope that I say the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Yeah. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, when supper had ended, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup that's the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, would you speak truth to our hearts now? And would this meal that we are about to partake in together remind us of your nourishment, of your care, of your counsel? Would you remind us of the significance in a fresh way of the body broken and blood shed of Jesus Christ? Nourish us and equip us to go forth, to rise and go into a dark world illuminated by your light. We love you in Christ's name we pray, amen. So friends, we are. We are joined by brothers and sisters all across the world. We mentioned brothers and sisters we're learning from in Rwanda today, Uganda, brothers and sisters who have seen political unrest far before we ever saw it. We are learning and we are joining together as the family, the larger family of God, not just here in the United States, but around the world. And we are turning our hearts and our minds' attention towards this great mystery that is for all people. And that mystery is this, let's say it together, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So church, would you joyfully and with hope receive who you are, the body of Christ.